Welcome to Level Up. I'm Sherelle. And I'm Danny. And this is the podcast where we talk about health, fitness, and mindset. The art of glute training. Today's episode. Yeah, well, glutes is very much a hot topic on the internet always, especially in the health and fitness world. And we've done an episode in the past about the science of glute training and you guys loved it. So we thought we'd go into a little bit more detail about the art of glute training. There's very much a difference. And when we were writing the show notes for this, we were reflecting on the difference between science being quite linear, structured, Mm. you know, black and white, whereas art creative thinking outside the box and and very you know you can't really um, put methods to it so Mm. it is important to use both science and artistic natures when coaching someone because Mm. everyone is so different and I've really noticed or we've both really noticed that on the internet there's a lot of science-based and evidence-based practitioners and coaches who love reading love studying Mm. good on them (laughs) <laughs> but they don't have any clients or they don't yep. train or they haven't stepped in the gym. So mm. it's kind of like, great, you know how to read a study, but where is your real life practical experience? Mm. And that's what we're really proud about. You know, we've been in the gym for over a decade and we've been working with clients. So yeah, today's episode is really about the art of coaching mm. rather than just us spitting facts at you yeah absolutely especially like if you're a personal trainer or like just someone that loves training and like building your body or a competitor or a coach yourself like it's so important to understand the science but the practical application is so important like you said there's a lot of people that are just reading studies and like reciting conclusions and making content but I, I just, they don't have like the proof behind them. Um, one of working with people and actually generating that result. But then the second thing, like what actually motivates people? Like compliancy is one of the biggest issues when it comes to coaching in general or personal training. So it's not always about the most optimal thing to do, right? And we need science, of course. We need evidence-based um, literature to be able to guide us in the right directions. But both Danny and myself have definitely had like experiences training ourselves. I'm I mean, we're both bikini pros. Glute training was a big part of our preparation to be able to, you know, work towards that. But then the second part is every client that comes to me wants to grow their glutes. And it's a little bit of the science, of course, but then it's also like, well, what does that look like? You know, what are the key considerations that you need to be making in the gym that are not only realistic, but also practical? Totally. Realistic and practical. Mm. The two forgotten things where, you know, people who are so stuck in literature they don't um, remember that they're the true fundamental aspects. You know, your client, yes, it's about giving them a great program on paper, but they have to actually understand it and do it. And the thing is with literature, there's not one study on every single scenario. Studies take years, they cost millions. Every single scenario is impossible to be researched because you need a different sample size, you need different control groups, you need different um, outputs. So, yeah, you can't actually, for the people that say, where's the study on that? Well, we don't want to spend two to three million dollars in 10 years of our life actually writing a study for you to then go, oh, 
okay, it actually works. You know, mm. what about actual client results? Yeah. It drives my gears when like you might say something and someone's like, oh yeah, where's the study? Oh. I'm like, shut up. Like I get it, but why, why is that a cop out for everyone? Or like even on TikTok, like the latest thing is like if you post something and maybe you're talking about rest, pause sets or volume or intensity or tempo, like things that you just like I wouldn't have thought were debatable. Um, you'll get people tag other people in it to be like, can you just proof check this and make sure it's legit? God. Like just make sure this little girl knows what she's talking about. That's what I feel like. <laughs> but it's it's like we need to be like a bit more, I don't know, holistic in the way that we're showing things because we need to be taking like literature um, for what it is, evidence and, and things that we should be guiding principles off, but not like matter of fact. There's going to be like different ways of doing things and there's a lot of people out there that have just simply trained hard for a long period of time and they don't have all the whiz bang stuff and all the different angles and all the <laughs> optimized training and they've still got great results right so it's a little bit of both and i think like from my sort of coaching experience sometimes we can just be like obsessing over the stuff that doesn't matter and i think that's where it's really important to zoom out and come back to the things that really do matter right and that's what we're going to talk about today like we're going to talk about a lot of the the main things when it comes to like of course how to develop this muscle um because there's a lot of bs on the internet right there's a lot of stuff that you're like that doesn't even like intellectually makes sense of why that would even grow any muscle um i don't know why the glutes just all of a sudden take that out the window but i'm excited to dive a little bit deeper and break down some of the myths and then also give like you guys something practical to take away from today totally and we love glutes not only for <laughs> aesthetics <laughs> it's fundamental like for for people to be attracted to a partner you know we do look at the glutes because mm. that means great mating experience not great mating experience <laughs> but like you'll be able to be a good childbearing mother you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was meant to athletic. sound better than what it came out with you know but it means you're athletic you've got childbearing hips so mm. yes aesthetics is one thing from an innate nature but injury rehab mm -hmm. you know recovering from an injury yep. largely requires glute training mm. performance mm -hmm. okay there are so many other elements aside yep. from aesthetics that we really want to highlight around the glutes rather than oh yeah that glutes look great yep. because someone could never train a day in their life and still have great glutes yeah, because of their genetics style. body fat distribution how wide their hips yep. are their femurs BBL. you know BBL, you know, <laughs> there's so much in it yeah. that people are forgetting. So you mentioned beautifully that people get too caught up in the nitty gritty of mm. it, right? The one percenters where we've forgotten about genetics. We've forgotten about yeah. all these larger details that actually yeah. make up someone. So someone with a BBL might walk in on TikTok. Mm. You know, I don't go on TikTok that much, but it sounds pretty cutthroat. So, yeah. and claim that this one exercise did it. And unfortunately people will believe them. Yeah. It's crazy. And if you call any of that out, like you are really shot down on socials. It's like, you, it's it's so taboo, right? But it, it is a fact, like genetics and body fat distribution really do make a big difference. Some people just store body fat in the right places as well, right? And I also wanted to highlight, like glutes aren't just a girl's muscle. Do you know what I mean? Like 
guys that have strong developed legs and glutes like that's attractive for women too and as you mentioned like injury prevention like power strength like they're all indicators um, that not only do they know what they're doing in the gym but they are also like strong individuals as well and healthy and fit look not always but from an evolutionary standpoint totally a lot of my lower back patients yeah, who are males we and, and knee pain we get them doing glute yeah. movements and yes there is still a little bit a little bit of a stigma around it i mean i don't really prescribe like cable kickbacks and abductions mm. to the guys because they just don't really feel confident but a hip thrust yes mm. you know squat deadlift hip hinge lunges all of that but you know hopefully as time goes on and with the use of these platforms you know there won't be traditional male versus female mm. exercises no, absolutely. Because I know the, the hip thrust in general over the last sort of six to 12 months is like really copped it on the internet for being like the girl's exercise or just not being effective. And there was a recent study that came out that Brett Contreras, who's like the founder or the god of yeah. um, the inventor of the hip thrust, uh, where they showed that hip thrusts were just as effective for building the glutes as back squats because you know on the internet a lot of people sort of say you know the king of all exercises the barbell back squat and they're um, more effective for building muscle mass but obviously this study this one study um, showed that they were just as effective except obviously you didn't build quads or adductors along with it as well and I think it's so important to be able to again look at the evidence but then go did we need that study to know it you know what I mean like girls have been hip thrusting for a while we've been saying how effective they are um, so I feel like again it comes down to like yeah the science is helpful but for a, we just have to look back in history too and be able to take our experiences of what we've done in the gym and with our training um like just as serious and i think people don't do that they go oh well there's no study behind it nothing to prove it doesn't matter it's like why did we why did he have to spend like probably a million dollars on this study for that to be known when women have been saying that for a while i mean like glutes i hand on my heart say that that exercise, a hip thrust, was the one thing that actually made my glutes grow initially because I stopped getting back pain, I learned how to go through hip extension and I learned how freaking strong I was. Like I learned I could load up and hip thrust 150 kilos. So there's a lot more to it when it comes to like the art, right? And I don't know if you agree with any of that, but that's what I really want to get into today. Totally. When you said you were gonna, you know, recall the latest study on glutes, like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Like, who's it by? You said Brett Contreras. Like, okay, hands down, yeah. it is 100% correct yep. because he created the movement. Mm. I feel like that study perhaps would have had to happen to them show people who would say where's the study well now yeah. he can go fine here's your pieces of paper that you wanted yeah you know even though for years and years and years we've known it was um, such a great glute builder but it's all context dependent mm. because then you do have people who do squat and deadlift and who don't hip thrust who have great glutes yeah exactly as well but i personally and like what you said when we started hip thrusting, our glutes grew. Mm. I just find it such an easy exercise to target, when performed correctly, of course, to target the glutes without so many variables, yeah. you know, and you're working against mm. gravity, which is one of the main differences between squatting, which is vertical. You know, hip thrust, you're lying horizontal. So mm. it's really hard at the top of the movement because you're going against gravity. Yeah. And then you're not bringing in as much of the surrounding muscles. Mm. Like with a squat, you need upper back tension, which means you need shoulder mobility and then you need strong quads. You need all these other things, balance, mm. you know, that might break yep. down before you actually get to achieve 
the movement and glute growth. So mm. the hip thrust and its variations, mm. regressions and progressions are my number one go-to when trying to teach someone how to utilize their glutes. Yeah, absolutely. And right, you can really load up and it's like an isolated exercise too. So yeah. as soon as things turn compound and there's more joints and more movements, it's more complex, right? So it's easy to be able to teach someone how to go through hip extension. Like you said, with something like a hip thrust or a glute bridge or a kickback or something that's really isolated that they can feel the muscle because um, that's important when you're learning is like being able to feel what muscle you're training. And even for me, like squats, hack squat, leg press, like everything burns. Do you know what I mean? Like it just all burns. Whereas when you're isolating exercise with like a hip thrust you can really feel it and I guess that sort of moves into the first point that we wanted to speak about being exercise selection um, and how important that is like if your goal is to grow your glutes you've got to use the right tool for the right job and you know everyone's going to have their I guess what's the word there their preferences I guess with exercises as well and I know that we're all different we're all built different as well but there is main exercises that are built off how the glutes function in general. Totally, so it's really important to consider that there are three glute muscles, glute max, glute med, glute min. They're all the abbreviations, minimus, maximus, medius. And now, although you cannot actually separate the glutes, so, you know, you might hear people on Instagram, this is glute med only, mm. you know, get your glute min, which is pretty much impossible because it's like right under the glute med. You know, they all work in sync. Why would you want to isolate that anyway? I don't know. Clickbait <laughs> sounds different. Reinventing the wheel somehow. <laughs> but yes, you can put your client or yourself in positions that bias certain actions like mm. hip extension is primarily glute max or abduction and external rotation primarily glute med but you will still get glute max involved so it's actually impossible because they're also interconnected mm. it's impossible to separate them so every time you hear this is only glute max only glute med you know that it's not actually correct it can be dominant and biased because of the movement pattern mm. and the angle. However, yeah, you actually can't separate them. They all love working in together. Yeah, and it's, it's good to know that, right? Because it's important to understand that when you are choosing exercises. Um, something that is a little bit of an ick for me that I like scroll on socials and see is like when people say the best exercise for building glutes, right? And I totally understand what they're trying to say. They're trying to say the best exercise for them or their favorite exercise or maybe what you should be doing or whatever. There's a lot of other hooks that you could probably use. But as soon as someone says the best exercise, I know it's for clickbait. Like I know it's not the best exercise because there's no such thing, right? But exercise selection for building any muscle is super important. But as you mentioned, there's three main types of glutes or three different glute muscles, and we need to be hitting all of them, but you're gonna be hitting all of them when you're doing most of the movements as well. So it's just about making sure that you're choosing exercises that you're confident in, like that skill acquisition is, is really important, but then also exercises that you can push intensity on, right? And I know that we can probably both agree, Danny, but building muscle is friggin' hard work. Mm -hmm. and most people underestimate how long it takes. Like I honestly think, how old am I now? 29. It's taken me probably eight years to build muscle mass or a level of muscle mass where I'm like, I, I look fit. Like I look like I train, right? Like I've, I've actually got a decent amount of muscle mass and I'd be okay to sit here. Whereas like, you know, maybe when I was in my first couple of years of training, I was like, 
wanting to grow and grow and grow and just put on more muscle mass, especially obviously glutes, which is what we're talking about. Mm. But it, it took years to be able to develop muscle tissue. And I think like, yes, exercise selection is super important, but like exercise selection and consistency for a long period of time. Like we shouldn't be just changing things all the time when it comes to exercise selection. We just need to remember that consistency piece is super important. Yeah, I think people are getting a little bit confused because there are so many exercises out there and yeah. it's like, how do I choose the right one but for is me? There, I feel like is there really that many exercises? There are like categories, I guess. And then there's like variations. Well, yeah, variations of the movement patterns. Mm. But for example, you know, and we've we've both filmed exercise libraries. There are hundreds and hundreds of yeah. videos in there. It's <laughs> like you know, we did a, a glute encyclopedia alone. There are 150 different glute exercises. Yeah. So people get confused or they get distracted. They're like, yep. ooh, I'm gonna try this one. I'm yep. gonna try this one. I saw that on Instagram. Let's do it. I'm bored of that one now. Let's add that in. So yep. they're doing too much and it's not consistent mm. enough because just like learning how to ride a bike, you get on that same damn bike and you practice day in and <coughs> day, day out until it becomes a skill. Mm. So less is more and we always say it less is more when it comes to exercise selection when it comes to days in the gym you know we need to actually treat our training seriously like an athlete and put that application into certain movement patterns mm. until we master it until we earn the right to do mm. all the fancy stuff yeah absolutely when you say fancy stuff what do you mean by that like what's fancy to you when you think about glute training Good question. I mean, I don't really use the word fancy, actually. <laughs> it was more quoting people on Instagram. Yeah. And, and now you see the memes where they're like riding a unicycle with a barbell on and then <laughs> they're holding a yeah. bench up and it's getting all yeah. crazy. So thank you for catching me out on that. I actually don't <laughs> think any exercise is fancy, but yeah. people sort of use that when maybe it's on one leg mm. or there's a new piece oh, of equipment yeah. or they're doing two movements in one, like yeah. a squat and a freaking bicep girl you know people are drawn towards that mm. and if you want to get good at that movement practice it mm. if that movement um, will help your goals practice it but it shouldn't always be the aim to progress and remove stability and mm. you know make it heavier and put all of the methods of progressive overload in one exercise that shouldn't be the end goal the end goal yep. should be your actual goal yep. why you started training in the first place yeah a lot of you guys listening will be probably a little bit younger than me as well maybe some of you guys listening but we're not that bloody old oh, I know I can't pretend <laughs> only 29 <laughs> in my wisdom <laughs> but when we first started training the hip thrust didn't really exist did it like can you remember when I first started lifting I don't remember doing a hip thrust for the first I don't even know did you start with a hip thrust no way I, can't I remember, remember when it was invented I don't know what the year was but it wasn't around I don't want to misquote it but it wasn't that long ago, yeah. Go on, have a go. No, I'm not going to have a go because <laughs> I actually did go to Brett Contreras' course in Sydney. Um, oh, so you should know this. His workshop. Mm, well, I was helping sort of set up and work, so I wasn't sitting as a student. But um, that's when I really delved into the hip thrust and what it was and got to try it for mm. the first time. And, yeah, it was phenomenal. But I was, I think that was in 20, either 2016 or 2017 where I went to that. And I remember we found our first glute drive up in Queensland. Oh, I remember that. Remember? I was talking about videos now and I'm like oh. we thought it was the best thing in the world and to this day it's my favorite it's machine. horrendous I'm in mad lumber extension on that oh our <laughs> technique was shocking we had we had our little cute banner which I still love doing banded glute drive but like like 20 kilos oh, either side not, we're not. in comprep we're, we're, we're stick thing we're tiny humans but Egos. we had just discovered yeah. this new machine together mm. in this new movement it was really like 
it, yeah. it was transformational. Yeah, but it's so weird to think about that now because it, like, yeah. if you buy a glute program online, there's no way it doesn't have a hip thrust in it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. But when we first started, and as you said, less is more, that just sort of like prompted me to think. But when I first started training and writing my own programs or, you know, I used to go on T-Nation or bodybuilding.com and like download leg programs and things like that, they were just so much quantity over quality like it was lots of exercises lots of volume lots of sets and lots of reps um no sort of like consistency like the programs would change too frequently exercise selection would change a lot so i feel like when i look at it now how i write programs it is about like what is the minimum effective dose because i know that the main stimulus for muscle growth is going to be intensity so how can i make sure that you're getting enough intense volume but not too much you know because we don't want to burn yourself out so when i was thinking about exercise selection it's just it's interesting to reflect on how your own training changes over the years and no surprise like back then I had a pancake ass, <laughs> like that was that was that. Whereas now it's like the opposite, right? So it's it's and it's not a surprise. It's like oh, that's why. Do you know what I mean? I was doing it wrong. I wasn't doing it right. Like I was I was just really chasing to burn, and I was just doing lots of sets and lots of reps, no real intensity, poor exercise selection potentially, no hip thrust. So there's definitely little things that you can pick up on when it comes to exercise selection, and I just generally feel like you find the movements that work for you as well like there's certain exercises that you know no exercise is a must um you don't have to do any exercise you can replace that with a different movement pattern in like or the same movement pattern but different machine or different sort of variation but you just have to find the variations that actually work for you and stick to them for long enough like so many people change their a series too frequently and i don't know if you'll agree with me on this danny but i'd love to hear your opinion I can leave an A-series in for like 12 plus weeks, like a back squat, an RDL, a hip thrust, and just make tiny changes to progressive overload over a longer period of time until I get to a point like what I did with my um, Romanian deadlifts where I was like, I'm too strong on this, that my upper back is actually <laughs> letting me down. Like at what point is like RDLing that much weight helpful? Like, you know, you sort of got to pick and choose. But exercise selection, we have to be sticking to them for long enough as well. Totally. It depends if you're talking to someone who takes their training quite seriously mm. and has, you know, goals that revolve around body composition or yeah. injury rehab or something like that compared to people who just come in the gym for the social aspect just to get them off the couch, maybe for mental health, because some people also get really bored. Yeah, now, it's easy for us to say, you know, well, change that, you know, yeah. change them your mindset and just do the work, mm. which easier said than done. But for some people, they like that variety, but I think it's important for everyone to question themselves. Well, why am I training? Because yes, to get that outcome, you do have to stick with the same movement patterns yeah. and the variations that suit you for a long period of time. You and I definitely do that. Powerlifters do that. Mm. You know, someone learning a new skill does that, but then, if you're someone who loves going to classes and mixing it up, then they will not be able to stick that much. So in that case, what I would do is then, to use the phrase of the A series, what, so the first exercise, give them a variation, but of the same movement pattern, mm -hmm. just so they feel like yeah. they're doing something different 
Yes, it might be a little bit different, but it's still the same underlying movement pattern. Depends yeah. who you're talking to. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because like you said, I'm like, I will do the boring work. Like I will stick to the same program. I will stick to the same exercises and I'll add two freaking kilos a week and it would feels mundane, but then you know looking back. But as you said, that's the art of coaching, right? Compliance and motivation is important, guys. And not only for ourselves, like I noticed for me that I was losing a little bit of motivation and training was just becoming a bit... Ugh vlog you know just groundhog day getting back in so i just changed to a full body split and now i'm like love it <laughs> this is the best thing ever so but kept a lot of the same exercises as well so that's the art piece that like yes you can know what's most effective and what's going to work eventually but especially when it comes to like your clients like you do have a responsibility to keep them engaged and keep them motivated and make sure that they are feeling like they're making progress uh, away from weight on the bar. Because, you know, if we only dictate it to strength, that can't always go up, etc. So we need to make sure that we're not just looking at one variable. We're looking at like humans as a whole, especially if you are coaching. Totally. I think it's actually easier to stick to a rigid plan. Oh yeah. Than learn how to get results while being flexible, while accounting for life events mm. happening to you, you know, and not beating yourself up if you missed a day or at the gym because you hear one side of the story where people can't stick to a program, but then I think it's actually easier to stick to a program than to get results while being flexible. You know, when we're new, often we just take everything very literally. Mm. And I remember when I started, whatever was handed to me, whether it be training, nutrition, yep. I would follow that to a T, right? But then that's quite limiting. Although you get the results, you can't maybe go out for dinner or you mm. can't stay up late because that'll affect your training session. But to be able to mix and match your programming, like you, how you change to full body, like that is fantastic based on the scenario that you're in right now. And that is how we stay training forever. Mm. We learn how to adapt with our life and priorities as we grow but still prioritizing training, but it looks different according to life events. Mm. I think that's the real art in it as well. Yeah, I've really noticed that in myself, like over the years, like both personally and then as a coach, where like when I started, it was like, no, 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 this is the way we do it. Like we do it this way. Or like you said, it's like, oh, if I had a sore back and it's deadlift day, like it's deadlift day. Totally. <laughs> gonna swim around. Like I, and I do think that at the start we are rigid before we become flexible. Like I think we have to learn to be rigid before we can invite flexibility in and be okay with that physically and mentally as well. It's the whole, your environment, do you know what I mean? If things are controlled, you're gonna have a better outcome with when things are flexible. But if we only have perfect scenarios, then we're never gonna be able to adapt when life happens, because it, it does, right? And I think we've both learnt that, but yeah, I was just even thinking like, how much I just used to be, oh well, no, I've still got four weeks left on this program. Like you're not swapping out to a full body split, no way. Mm -hmm. You know, but now I'm like, oh, you know, when you've got knowledge that sort of like invites that, doesn't have to be one way. And knowledge gives us flexibility. Like when you think about why we feel rigid and restricted, it's because we don't know there's another way. So it's like, oh no, I must stick to this meal plan. I must stick to this training program, not realizing like, oh, energy balance and I can probably swap this out or I can do this. And that's the art of coaching, right? Is being able to give knowledge to other people so you can collapse time and actually enjoy the process. Like everyone says that, but that's really what enjoying the process means. For me, anyways. Totally, totally. And when it comes to actual exercise selection, um, you know, you do get people saying, oh, you can't do this exercise. Don't do that, it's a bad exercise. But we believe that 
and actually like a good coach can find a scenario for each exercise. Mm. So there needs to be more context around, well, if you think that's a bad exercise, cool, but for who? Like yep. people don't actually elaborate. Yep. So that is also confusing people because mm. some people love, you know, hip hinging. Some people love the Jefferson curl, which is flexion under load. Well, okay, cool. You need to be able to find a scenario for each mm. rather than just saying, no, this is good, this is bad. There's still too much of that going without context. But essentially as a coach, you need to look at your client as an individual where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, mm. and it's your job to actually give them the movements they're avoiding within reason. Now, I'm not saying everyone should do a Jefferson curl, for example, but maybe one out of 100 clients you see might actually need that. So mm. it's your job to be able to recognize, hmm, my client is, is not very strong in this movement pattern or this position, that's what I need to give to them. But then they're gonna hate it, because if we're weak at something, you're gonna hate that movement. Mm. A lot of people hate lunges for example yep. so it's our job to give them what they need while educating them yep. so then they will adhere to the movement that they don't actually like and flip their mindset around mm. it too it's not just about making fun programs for your clients that they're going to love yep. and say oh you're the best coach it's like no they actually came to get results you need to give a little bit of that tough love and give them the movements that they've been avoiding for their whole life yeah absolutely on our induction form for new clients it always says like is there any exercises that you don't like i just ask it for fun <laughs> yeah and it's always lunges and i'm like so we're having lunges yeah. in your program like it doesn't mean that you don't get lunges it just tells me what you what you're avoiding and therefore what you probably need more of um and then it's the coach's responsibility to be able to figure out why they don't like it like usually it's poor technique pain maybe they've had a negative experience with that exercise they just don't know how to do it they're incompetent at it whatever it might be figure out why and then fix it right like one of my favorite things with training is that there's always something to work on um, as well and if you're ever a master at something like you probably need to broaden um, and you know stretch yourself in other areas as well and I just think that's so important because so many people avoid the things that they should do and then they wonder why certain areas of their body aren't growing it's like you should be pushing your lunges as hard as other exercises you know it's not a fluffy little exercise that you just you know you need to be like training with intensity and not just like going through the motions and I like what you said earlier it's going to be context dependent because not every one's goal is to build bikini pro glutes and do all that sort of stuff and that's totally okay but it's still important to understand like what's going to give you progress um and if you make an informed choice that you're like you know what i'm just cruising and i've had phases like that definitely mm. where i'm like i'm so burnt out and i just want the training to make me feel better more energized not exhausted so we just have to understand those variables as well hey guys if you're enjoying the episode please share it with a friend or share it on your socials and don't forget to tag us. Then off the back of exercise selection and programming, you know, our number one important um, topic around glute training, we've got technique, activation and quality of movement naturally. So we've got our program, now what do we do mm. with it, right? So, and, and you wrote beautifully here, yeah, technique obviously matters. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> why do we have to say obviously? it? Isn't it ob <laughs> but then you were like, oh, no, that's something to talk about. And I was like, are there people out there that don't think technique matters? Please educate me. Yeah, so there are people out there who, their theory is that the body adapts to poor technique. And I'm gonna use the deadlift for example. There are people out there that believe that if you deadlift with spinal flexion 
on the heavy loads mm. that the discs, quote unquote, and I'm going to use quote and break this up so it doesn't get taken out of content. So they think I agree with it. <laughs> they quote that the disc adapts okay. under lumbar flexion. And we know, and there have been countless studies, that a number one cause of disc herniation is lumbar flexion under heavy loads where it surpasses your ability. You know, chances are you won't get a disc herniation bending down to pick up you know, a paper clip off the floor. But do it with 200 kilos on oh, the yeah. bar, we surpass our capacity for that load and then we can get injured. So mm -hmm. there are people out there that say, you know, keep using that poor technique and your body will adapt mm -hmm. where it is completely incorrect and very dangerous advice. Yeah, I mean, I guess I do think that good technique is different for everyone. Like everyone's technique is going to look different to some degree because we're all different we're all built different etc but if you're getting pain nothing's going to grow right like nothing's going to grow when there's a pain signal there in your body and something that i see all of the time because i only work with women but and I, I, like i make a generalization a goal of a lot of women is to grow their glutes it's just a very common thing and then when you dive deeper to try and figure out well what what's not working as well like why do you feel like you're not making progress in this area back pain like a back pain everyone's got back pain it's so common right and then when you look at technique from an rdl and i feel like this would be very specific here because it's like okay let's see how you rdl let's see how you go through hip extension i can already see where the problem is right and it's just like oh, okay we'll fix that fix that and i know it's not always that simple but it's it really is like the things that a lot of people overlook it's it's i don't know like it's so obvious to me but that's why i wrote obviously because <laughs> <laughs> nothing's nothing's gonna grow if you don't sort it out right and if you've got pain like please don't accept it don't be like oh well you know it's just been there for five years like no like you know there's ways around it and if you're investing in yourself like you know you need to be able to as you say movements medicine like be able to look at why it's not working why do you have pain because there's no point jumping to oh well i just want to compete or i just want to build as much muscle as possible when you actually need to take it back like five steps and i know a lot of people hate that and you would see it probably all of the time right danny where it's like i you need to go right back to basic foundation floor work like no loads and it'd just be really hard for people yeah and you said it so beautifully like for example you mentioned if someone came to with pain you clean up their technique yep. and then they're out of pain mm -hmm. if only it was that easy all the time yeah. in a lot of cases it is just a matter of cleaning up your technique in the gym most people don't actually know the correct technique mm. so then they do that time and time again which goes back to our first point technique does matter mm. otherwise you can highly likely get injured yep. so awesome point and then you have the people that no matter what position they get in with perfect technique and again perfect looks different for everyone mm. they're still in pain and that's mm. a lot of the um, population that i deal with particularly yep. around lower back pain most of my clients are lower back knee and shoulder yeah and there's no coincidence yeah, because I like, well, look how it <laughs> i know well true there's nothing <laughs> organ i don't know there's nothing left because they are all connected. Mm. Society has molded us into these human yep. beings like us right now sitting down. Our glutes aren't being utilized. We're in mm. hip flexion, our arms are forward, a little bit of forward head carriage, probably more from me, so the bad habit. But then we take that movement into the gym. So our body molds to the chair that we've been in all yep. day. We take that straight to the deadlift bar. You can have all the cues in the world. Mm. However, your dominant structures 
will continue to dominate because that's what they do best. They're really strong. It saves our body energy Mm. rather than recruiting the lagging muscles. Let's just use our lower back. It's strong anyway. Mm. Let's just use our hip flexors. They're strong anyway. Glutes and core often get a holiday Mm. and people get confused because they say, oh, my hip flexors are really tight. I'm just going to spend an hour foam rolling, Mm. dry needling, massaging. That works for a short period of time and it feels good. So people keep doing it. Mm. However, that's where muscle activation comes into it. And this is, again, with my acute and chronic pain patients who can't fix their pain just through simple technique Mm. correction. That's where, as you mentioned, floor work, you know, take it back to basics, actually teach them how to forcefully contract the glute muscle, Mm. but without allowing their lumbars to take over, without allowing their hip flexors to take over. So that's where I use muscle activation. And again, a lot of uneducated people have talked down on those two Mm. words, but I know for a fact that they simply just don't work with the same clients as me because Muscle activation doesn't mean burning out a muscle until fatigue. It means, cool, you get a lower back pain patient. They've got a really weak core. They've got really weak glutes. So that means they're really bad at hip extension. You know, they just bend from their back like a noodle. Okay, it's my job to then get them into a position, often using the floor because of gravity. Mm. Okay, get them into a position where they must perform the action of the glutes. We'll use the sideline clam, for example. Their job is to perform abduction and external rotation at the hip without their lower back kicking in. Once they achieve that movement, they've learned a new skill, mm. you know, which can be transferred into the knees out cue. They've learned the new skill, they've started strengthening the glutes, and they've inhibited the stronger muscles. Now, I hope you don't mind me. I'll get a tiny bit sciencey, but I really want to explain muscle activation correctly, again, for the people who are confused, because I'm just so passionate about how much of a difference it's made um, to my patients and patients everywhere, that it's so important to understand that we have muscles that are strong and muscles that are weak. Now, there's a phenomenon called reciprocal inhibition, and it means when one muscle's working, the muscle responsible for the opposing action can't be working, like a bicep curl. Mm. Your bicep's working, so your triceps loose. If you're doing a tricep extension, your triceps on, your biceps resting. The same with the glutes and the hip flexors. Mm. Okay, so take it back to the desk worker sitting all day. Their hip flexors are strong, they're active, they're ready to rock. Their glutes are not active because they've been inhibited. So rather than stretching out your tight muscles, Mm. you know, they're just doing their job, rather than stretching them out, foam rolling them out, how do we inhibit them? By activating the opposing muscle. We inhibit the hip flexors by activating the glutes. So that is a roundabout way to quote unquote relieve tight muscles, take away pain for a certain area, simply by exercise rather than just, you know, trying to always stretch out the tight muscles. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I know it's something that's like very close to your heart as well because it's my yeah, job, man. It's your job. <laughs> it's your job. And I think it's so important to like educate people on like what 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 you do, right? And like why this is important to you. And you hit the nail on the head because to who and to what for, right? A lot of people 
like they just don't understand and look, i'll give you some context right like mm. i i work with a specific type of, of client right i don't deal with chronic pain like people come to me but we can usually clean it up like you said technique i can see the problem etc um we have someone internally as well that if things don't go to plan she's got a different process different exercises different lens different ways of looking at things right because they're technically a different type of client right yes. and it's so important to have that um, and we turned that in-house because what was happening is we were having clients that were coming in with some of that stuff. And well, I would refer out and they would end up worse off, to be yep. honest. And I was like, what? You know, then I was like, we could probably do a better job, you know, of just like tweaking things through movement, through technique, right? Rather than them just going, getting some deep needling and, and everything has its place, don't get me wrong. But I'm just speaking from experience and sort of what's, what's worked for us and what I see a lot in the fitness industry. And like you said, healthcare because I was like oh patients you know you've got a different lens and I'm like clients true <laughs> health and fitness right <laughs> like they are they are said as health and fitness together but they are so different um and I think a lot of what we probably both do is try and bring those worlds together because they shouldn't be uh at the end of the day like health is physical fitness and physical fitness is a part of health so we need to be like doing you know doing our clients justice and making sure that we are referring to the right person but like I said I've been let down um, multiple times as well because you know you want to be realistic where where you send people if they need if they want to see someone in person etc so there's lots of different pieces around the client and I was reminded of this recently where um, my dad had a shoulder operation I think it was um, he was racing someone in Rome, don't ask me. Racing someone in yeah, Rome? Yeah, he went to Rome and thought he would do, I don't know, some track, thought he would go for a sprint, <laughs> fell over. Um, anyways, literally. Oh. So anyways, and um, as my parents have aged, I hate seeing your parents get a little bit older, yeah. don't you? But my dad's lost like a fair bit of muscle as he's gotten older and like they just, they didn't, they didn't get the opportunities like we did to look after yourself physically. And, you know, he's grew up on a farm and hard worker and his job very physically laborious. So never did any sort of weightlifting or anything like that. And I've been giving him some exercises and, you know, assigning them to him on the app <laughs> and doing that sort of stuff and, and showing him some movements. And like, it's, it's humbling, you know, and it's important to understand like, that's who you're talking to for some of those things, right? Not everyone, but it's important to understand that not everyone is you, like as a client. If you're a coach and you're in the gym and you're strong and fit and healthy, etc., and your goal is to build your glutes, like we've been sort of talking about, mm. but not everyone is you. And some people just need a completely different approach. And that is so okay. And, you know, the old sort of saying, like, the less you know, or the more you know, the less you know. It's sort of that context when it comes to coaching as well and just, like, building muscle and then realising, oh, it's not just building muscle. Like, it's so much more. Like, muscle building is just such a tiny part of coaching and what we do. So, yeah, I just wanted to just share that because it was something that was reminded to me to be like, oh, okay, like, let me show you this exercise then. Like, I'm not going to give you a goblet squat, not even at that. You know, I'm going to give you something on the floor, something with a band, um, body weight, breathing, core, like all of those sort of exercises that I know a lot of people on the internet just like talk down on, but they just, they're just applying it in the wrong way, right? And I think that's, the, to me, I'm just like, you're just, you're just misinterpreting what everyone's talking about. Yeah, no context and greatly misinterpreted. Um, and the thing is, your experience is so common where you try to refer out, but you can't yep. find someone that can, you know, help the problem. But also you can't find someone who aligns with your values, mm. which is movement as well. Yeah. So why is that so hard? I, just I know like, why. I just thought 
I just thought, I don't know, physio, I think movement. And like, I don't know, I just would have thought that that would have been the context, like write them a program. And then when I realised when they were coming back worse, and I was like, oh. I'll tell you why. Because in university, no matter which, whether you're studying osteopathy, physiotherapy, you know, you're a chiropractor, exercise physiologist, mm. highly evidence-based, okay? We've all been to, like, not we've all been, you and I have been to uni. You remember writing essays, they all have to be evidence-based, mm. right? Again, goes back to our study, um, our topics that there's not one study on everything. Yep. And there's only so much you can teach someone in five years or four mm. years, however long we were there. It takes a great amount of time and money, again, not only to make a study, but then to change coursework. Mm. So the missing link, whether you're a physio, osteo, chiro, is exercise. We are not taught how to move well. We're mm. not taught how to get into the gym. Out of a five-year so-called health degree of osteopathy, I learned anatomy like literally like inside out, but then we had like one unit on movement. Mm, yep. So I'm here today with my experience because it was just, I'll call it luck or fate, that I was obsessed with the gym mm. just as much as I was obsessed with learning at uni. And like you, with you know being a nurse and then being at the gym, the worlds were separate. Mm. So in our own way, you and I have started mm. to bridge that gap because when I was a PT, I was learning how to make people feel better through movement. But mm. then when I was an allied health professional with years of study, you know, our end goal was also to make people feel better. But the difference I noticed with, with not teaching them how to move better and just being really hands-on, mm. they would come back yeah. because their muscles would still be weak and strong. They'd have the same movement patterns. They'd go home and do the same thing or they'd play their sport and do the same movement patterns. So that's when it dawned on me quite quickly. I go, mm. Mm, we need a little bit of both. Mm. But again, that was through competing, um, having, you know, skipping classes and going to the gym sometimes. Yeah. So we were our best um, project, mm. so to speak. Yes. You know, you and I as well, bridging that gap mm. through our own trial and error. So I can't, I can't blame them for not knowing, but I can blame them for saying, you know, that what we do isn't correct or, you know, offering exercise advice or advice telling people to stop training mm. when they actually don't understand what correct movement is. Mm. So they're, yeah, it's just what they were taught. Mm. It's the therapists that have actually had their time in the gym, gotten under a bar, you know, doing the dirty, the hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the ones that you want to go to if you're in our industry with clients in the gym, you know, they're the ones you want to look for yep. because you know that we're aligned. Yeah. I know this is probably not right, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming? Never trust a health professional that doesn't lift. I just feel like, I just feel like, and that's me, that's my own bias because it's such a big value to me. Like, I just don't understand how if you're not physically looking after yourself and if you don't see physical health and training, and I'm not saying like train like a bodybuilder, I'm just saying like resistance training, right? Whatever that looks like, once a week, whatever. But when you push physical strength and rehab and all those sort of things onto other people, but then you don't do the, the one value to me that I think is most important for preventative healthcare, that just sort of like, I don't know, it's a red flag for me. And I know there's probably a lot of fantastic physios and healthcare professionals out there that don't lift. But I'm just saying me, one of my prereqs is that. Like, I just need to know how you train, right? And like, what that looks like. And it's not, like, I think when we look at injury, because 
you know, this is probably the most unsexy podcast on, on glutes. I love it. I'm so, uh, <laughs> I'm very but excited. It's the stuff that no one talks about because like, you know, a 30 second reel that's like, oh, the three best exercises to grow your glutes. It's like, give me some context. Yeah. <laughs> like man. technique, right? For them and for who and for what. Like we can definitely talk about the, the best exercises are going to stimulate muscle growth and like, you know, a big long list of those. But it doesn't start there for it. And, you know, I was having a thought the other day in the shower where all good thoughts take place mm-hmm. but you know how like a lot of like i don't know like advanced bodybuilders and and um i guess bikini pros and that sort of like general um category i should say sell programs to beginners um as well like their their training programs and i had a conflicting thought because i definitely used to do this <laughs> where you sell training programs to beginners right i'm like i'm at sort of level five right and level one is learning good technique, right? And this, you know, coaching needs to be accessible and affordable and all those sort of things as well, disclaimer. Um, but what's best for people is to actually go through a really solid foundation phase right at the start. Like if you're new to lifting or even in your first couple of years, um, you need to go through a foundational phase, right? I skipped that. <laughs> I skipped mm. that and paid for it because I didn't go through this mundane phase where I just learnt the boring movement patterns. And this is something I take clients through and I'm sure you do as well. It's like, right, back to square one. I know you want to do the most optimal hip thrust with 60 degree, blah, blah, you know, I, want, I know you want to do that. I know that's, you know, the workout you've saved, etc. I know that's the program <laughs> you want to end up doing. But we actually need to go back to this because it's going to lay the foundation like technique, you need to just get that right. You need to know what it feels like because when you get under a heavy bar, like technique is usually going to break down in the long run, right? Like the heavier you go, you're like eventually, okay, like technique starting to falter here. So a really strong foundation phase um, is so important. And I know um, Eugene won't mind me saying this, but I actually wrote a, a program for his app called Women's Foundations because I'm like, your female programs are like intense, right? Like they are so intense. And you just, you need something for like people that are just coming into the gym, you know, to do these tasks or these exercises that are not beginner, but not like complex or not like, I don't know, like super intense, um, not all these intensification methods. Like you need something that's, you know, appropriate for beginners to learn those movements through exercise. And then you can build up to all those fancy drop sets and other sort of exercises that, you know, you want to do. And I just feel like people skip chapters and skip stages and that's why they can sort of, you know, have to regress in the long term. Totally. Learn to appreciate and respect the basics. Yeah. But then the thing is, it's forever. Mm. I know you mentioned phases and we do go through phases. However, if our client is sitting down for eight to 10 hours a day, then they need to regularly get down on the floor, do some planks, you know, get their (laughs) core working. They need to extend their back, get that mobility in, do their glute work because they are counteracting it with 10 hours of sitting a day. So they have not earned the right to skip that foundation because of their postures as well. So Mm. then you do get those clients who need, and all of us, you Mm. know, no one is up and moving 24 seven in great technique and posture. So that's where we use the gym as a tool or use exercise as tools to then balance out our imbalances, Mm. strengthen our weaknesses. And it's a lifelong thing. If you're gonna be an office worker for 30 years, well, for 30 years, you're gonna be strengthening the muscles Mm. that are inhibited due to your posture as Mm. well. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best investments that I ever made for my own training was in person. 
like sessions, right? Like I've made a lot of investments, spent a lot of money on my health and fitness. But right when I started, um, I didn't do that right at the start. And I just tried to figure it all out on my own, which is was still super value. I look back now and I'm like laughing at it. But I don't know, a couple of years in, I invested in like some um, some coaching from an in-person coach. Um, and I still to this day, like invest in in-person sessions from different types of trainers. And I just love learning from people. And I just feel like being able to get some hand-on experience. And of course you can get this in an on- like online setting too, if you would like to. But if you're really struggling and like you've tried a few different things and you've watched some tutorials and you, you just can't nail it, honestly, like it's just a no brainer for me. Just as a couple of sessions, you'll be so surprised at like the light bulb that just goes up when you feel your glutes for the first time. You're like, oh my God, like I've been doing it so wrong. And then once you can sort of get the feel for it, you can take it into your own training because I just feel like a lot of people try and just go the the cheaper way, which is fine, like I said, but sometimes we have to invest to get ahead. Totally. So well said. And that rolls into our next point being intensity and load management. Mm. Okay. So we've got the program, we've mastered our technique. Now we can get intense if we want Mm -hmm. when do we push and when do we pull and it's so interesting people think that the basic exercises um, are not gonna create muscle growth but to the right person it actually will Mm. I'll take my mum for example who is active at work but does not train anymore at all you know so she had a sore hip I gave her some glute work just with a band at home while she was watching TV there's no friggin excuse for her to not do it I go mum <laughs> you're sitting down just put a band around your knees and press your knees Come out on, about mom. against the damn Paula? band Paula bless you shout out to Paula and Colleen <laughs> <laughs> thanks for always believing me mum <laughs> <laughs> good on them so she actually got doms She's like the next, I didn't expect anything. The next morning, she's like, oh my goodness. Like, I've got that muscle soreness thing. She didn't know what doms were. My bum's sore. I'm like, wow, there you go. So it is load dependent. To someone completely new, you can achieve the right amount of stimulus for muscle hypertrophy Mm. um, in the right setting, even just with a band. So it's all context dependent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's a novelty stimulus, right? And I think a lot of people think that, like, I don't know, I sort of go both ways. Like, I like a bit of muscle soreness to know that I've hit the right areas. Um, I think it's a good sign of, like, you sh- like you, you may not be sore all the time, but it is a good sign that you're sort of um, targeting the right areas as well. And the last point that is so important is under-eating. And this is something that, working with women only, I see so often because, you know, generalizing but stigmas told us to eat like birds um and to not fuel our bodies with like you know high amounts of calories high amounts of carbs i mean like even when you think back low fat low carb like all of those sort of things they just they aren't applicable if your goal is to grow your body grow muscle or even if you're an athlete you're playing sport like all these things you need to be fueling your your body properly with the right amount of calories and even like calorie calculators you know, they're a great starting point, but calculators aren't coaches. And I think that underfueling is one of the biggest contributing factors as to why people don't make progress in that area. Oh, yeah, because people are drawn straight away to the best exercise, mm. the best method, the best program. But you can be ticking all the boxes on your training, your technique's good, you know, you're allowing enough rest. But if you're not giving your body mm. the fuel it needs in order to grow, in order yeah. to perform, you know, you're not going to get the results. And Mm. it was evident when we were, you know, it was um, comp prep, we were severely dieting down in order to... Malnourished. to to (laughs) use that that word. (laughs) 
yes, we were malnourished during comp prep because that's the goal, yeah. right? Get down. You can't grow muscle in yeah. that state, no. you know? Obviously, that's an extreme, but we've been through it even before we started competing. Running, playing tennis, you know, mm. we were a lot smaller humans. And mm. yes, we learned how to train well, and that was one part of it, but we also knew how to appreciate the building phase and to actually use that food as fuel towards our target muscles that we wanted to grow. Obviously mm. you can't say, I'm gonna eat this, gonna go to my glutes. So I don't want people to think that, but mm. we need to eat enough to fuel our training. And it's it's forgotten because it's not sexy. Yeah. You will lose your abs, you know, your pants might not fit. You're gonna mm. feel bigger than normal. Like they're not selling points, mm. but that's the reality. Mm. I do feel like though, a lot of women are more inclined to go into building phases now more than ever. Like, don't you think the last, I don't know, even the last couple of years, whereas before that it was sort of uncommon. Whereas now it's like, oh, like you're building? Yeah, cool, me too. It's sort of like a bit more normalized because as you mentioned, you can do all the training stuff, but the nutrition has to support it too as well. So like, yes, the training's really important, but so's the nutrition. You can't really ever have one without the other. Like you can't just have the nutrition, like you said, and, and not be doing the training because it's just gonna be like accumulated as body fat. So being able to see the importance in that and then making sure that you're pushing your calories up as well and, and really pushing the top end of what your maintenance is. And if you feel comfortable going into a surplus, um, that's so important for growth too. Absolutely. I mean, we're definitely going to have a whole nutrition podcast, but we didn't want to leave this point out because it is equally, if not more important than mm. all of the others. You know, we need the right amount of fuel for our training. Yep. One question that I actually do have for you is how do you keep clients motivated when they feel like they're going backwards if they're injured? So strength wise, often we can use that as our metric for progress, but if we get injured, how do you encourage clients or teach clients that regression is a part of progression? I love that. And of course, it's so common, right? A lot of my clients, and I know you'd get the, the clients as well who love training so much mm. that they identify with going six or seven days a week. Mm. Now, you and I both know that you don't have to do that, but it's not as simple as saying, okay, you need to regress or you need to pull back. Okay, the client is so attached to that. It's a part of their identity. So. I get, I'm going to use the example, but CrossFitters, okay? Mm. It's not because I hate CrossFit, <laughs> but people just take it so far. It's intense, yeah. it's intense right? Mm. For the right people, it's great. For the wrong people, it can be a recipe for mm. injury, okay? So they call me up or we have our consult and tell me they hurt themselves in CrossFit. So I don't straight away say, oh, you shouldn't have been doing CrossFit. Mm. It's like, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. And it's about educating them of, on the mechanism of injury. So then they might recognize, yeah, I did go a little bit too hard. I got a little bit competitive mm. and then my technique, you know, went to the side and I was just more focused about lifting more than Susan in my class who she always beats me and everything yeah. I wanted to beat her, you know. It can get quite competitive, mm. particularly in those AMRAPs, you know as many reps as possible over and over and over again, really fast. You get tired, your technique, you know, falters and mm. that can be a mechanism of injury, not to mention not allowing enough time for recovery. Mm. So educating them on why they were injured perhaps in the first place, it's never one answer. It could be a series of poor lifting at home and then that was just a cherry on the cake at CrossFit, okay? Mm. So I'm not saying that it directly causes injuries, but okay, let's get educated. Let's educate you on why there was an injury. 
then we put a plan in place. Mm -hmm. I let them know my methods, my way of practicing, and that does involve cleaning up the technique. So if you're doing a clean and snatch all day every day or a barbell deadlift all day every day, but the technique's not right, we need to actually break down that movement. Mm. So people think of that as regressing, but it's learning new skills. I try and reframe it in a positive way. So you're not going backwards, you're actually going forward because mm. you're learning technique, learning new movement patterns. You really get to learn how to slow down the movement, like how we love training, time under tension, not just bang, 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 go, go, go. Um, because people carry their personalities into these classes and they think, oh, I have to always be on the go. So it's about reframing it and saying, these are your new challenges now. Try and be present, try and use training as a meditation. Reward yourself for not just having more weight on the bar or doing more reps, but to actually learn the movement properly. So it's about reframing that and then letting them know that they will be able to get back to their activity but it's just under different circumstances. So you have to sort of, I create it like a little game. You have to go through the checklist, tick off every mm -hmm. stage, um, allow for rest, allow for learning correct technique, and then we build back into the activity that they really love. But often on the way, you know, they might change their mind about what they were doing, or they might realize, hey, I actually do want more rest. So mm -hmm. more often than not, they don't go back to doing six to seven days a week of crazy exercise. Mm -hmm they have new values now. So it's about allowing them to feel like they understand the why, but then also giving them steps in order to get back to doing what they love. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and hit follow so you can stay up to date with our weekly podcast.